my dear listeners as 2022 comes to an end i have learned a lot along the way as a final year master student in academia i have devoted this academic year to learning how to solve issues that i and my peers encountered while figuring out how to navigate this field I witnessed myself and my friends suffer from academic pressures during the course of my nearly 5 year degree and now that we are surprisingly very close to finishing our degrees I wanted to talk about all these problems as you are aware I have had already a number of guests on my podcast and these people have contributed their ideas and helped you and I to grow through their enlightening chats but this particular occurrence is unique today Dr. Nicole Kelp from Colorado State University is here with me right now. Dr. Kelp's research focuses on how to more effectively explain science to lay people and how to better understand scientific communication. We encounter far too many thorns in academia, my dear listeners, but speaking with her gave me optimism that I could successfully navigate it on my own. So I as I mentioned to the listeners I have a very special guest with me today and her name is Nicole and I would like Nicole to introduce herself although I have already introduced Nicole to you people so Nicole go ahead and introduce yourself to the listeners just one more time again. Yeah so my name is Nicole Kelp I'm an assistant professor at Colorado State University um in Fort Collins Colorado in the US. I also do a lot of work with the University of Colorado School of Medicine which is in Denver, Colorado in the US about an hour away. Um and I have a background in more kind of biological sciences and I've transitioned to more science education and science communication research as well and we'll talk about that throughout the episode. Um and then just personally, I have a 4-year-old son um and I really enjoy living in Colorado and well I know throughout the time we'll talk a little bit more about career things but I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Mahima. It's like it's a pleasure to have you, Nicole. And again, thank you so much for agreeing to coming here and talking about all these things because I think uh, in India we need people to know that, you know, there are other careers that you can pursue while you are in academia and as we've been told that there's a single line in academia here hmm. in you go ahead and you pursue a masters then you go ahead you pursue a phd then there's a postdoc and there are a lot of barriers as a graduate students that people face especially my seniors who are enrolled in a graduate program right now so i want you to tell us that how academia has treated you so far and since you know you are involved in teaching you can like tell us how academia showed you that there was so much more than bench research for us so yeah yeah Absolutely. Um so I'll kind of just give a little bit of my academic journey and while I've been in academia that whole time it hasn't taken that perfect traditional path that you mentioned that we're kind of expected to in America as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I started um my undergraduate at Washington State University and I was in kind of a combined undergraduate and PhD program really focused on bench research and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed working in the lab using animal models to study cancer um doing histopathology research and some genetics things um i got to work in several different labs and learn kind of different science and different mentoring styles different skills um mentor undergraduate students while i was a graduate student so i liked all of that but i knew i didn't necessarily want to do that 
forever. I didn't want to just write grants and run a lab as um, a professor. I really liked interacting with people, interacting with students. And so after my PhD, I stayed um, at Washington State as an instructor in the department. So I did undergrad PhD in the U.S. We don't always have to do a master's in between our undergrad and PhD for um, biology type programs. And then instead of a postdoc, I started as an instructional faculty. I think it really kind of served as that postdoc-like time for me, though. It gave me some more training. And since I wanted to go into more of a career that was more teaching, interacting with students, it really gave me that experience. I got to develop curriculum. I got to learn a little bit about this thing called science education research, um, which is where we use education techniques and social psychology and other kind of more social science techniques to analyze how students learn um, biology or chemistry or whatever other discipline. Um, and so it was a really cool interdisciplinary way to use do research, but I had to learn a lot of new techniques, learn how to do um, social science research techniques like analyzing qualitative data or doing surveys, things like that. And I was doing that along developing curriculum and teaching a lot. And so that I did that for three years and really, really enjoyed that time. Um, and then, then at that time, a couple reasons made me kind of start looking at other jobs. Not that I didn't like that job, but I was an instructor on one-year contract. So I just didn't have a lot of job security. Um, and I have a child and he needed health insurance. And, um, and I didn't want to have to worry every year what my contract was going to look like. And so personal things really do matter. I also had been living in the same town for many, many years in, in the same department. And so I just wanted to branch out and try something new. And so I applied for the job I have now at Colorado State. And one thing I really appreciate about my department is that I have a tenure track position. Um, I'm an assistant professor who's working towards tenure and I have a high teaching appointment. So a lot of times tenure track positions, I only allow if you're going to run a big research lab doing bench research with lots of students. And I wanted to do more teaching and a little bit of research um, and still get that. And my department allows that and not every department does. So finding somewhere that values what you value is really important. Um, and so my teaching, I get to teach medical students. And so the University of Colorado School of Medicine in Denver has started a branch campus up here in Fort Collins at CSU. And I get to teach those medical students help with curriculum development. And I really enjoy that because all of the content I learned during my PhD, doing bench research, things like pathology and endocrinology, that's what I'm teaching to the students. So I haven't forgotten that stuff, even though I'm not doing research in it anymore. Yeah, in terms of the, yeah, yeah. do you have a question? Go ahead, please. Yes. In terms of the research I do, um, I got it kind of, it was a cool evolution of things. So when I was at Washington State teaching and developing curriculum, one of the things I got to develop was science communication courses for our life science undergraduate students and helping them learn how to think about um, communicating with different audiences. Um, and I realized that like, we can do some more work to develop how we train our future scientists how to communicate with diverse audiences. And so that kind of became my niche within science education research with science communication education. And so here at CSU, that's really what I built my lab around. Um, I have a couple of graduate students, a lot of undergrads that work for me, and I collaborate with people in the in communication departments where a lot of science communication research is actually done by communication PhDs, not science PhDs. But I think like bridging that gap is really important. 
I do a mix of more pure science communication research kind of around health communication about in infectious diseases, which is great because I work in a microbiology department. But then I also do a lot of that. How do we train STEM students how to communicate about science? So some education research, some communication research, both of which are that kind of more social science research skills. And I feel, for the most part, supported in my department, even though it's I'm doing very different things than many people in my department, different type of research um, and different than what I was trained in. So I would just encourage your listeners to think, even though like technically, yes, my path has looked kind of linear, undergrad, PhD, instructor position, tenure track position, the type of work I'm doing has evolved and I'm doing a lot of teaching and social science research instead of just the traditional bench research that I was trained in. And I really enjoy what I do. So I would encourage people as they're going through their career to think about what they want to do, not just what their advisor has done or what other people in their department have done. You can forge a new path and think of things outside the box. Um, and that's been really exciting for me. Yeah, that, that's amazing. So I just wanted to ask you, you know, generally graduate students have this pro uh, this mentality in their head that you know there is a linear path that I mentioned and you also suggested that yes this is how I went and there is possibility that we can think outside the box but mm -hmm. uh, sometimes you know the mentality that students get when they want to pursue academia especially when they are entering PhD right mm -hmm. so they think that you know we need to pursue only bench research and there mm -hmm. is no path out of it there is nothing and in India I, I'll be honest with you there isn't we need to f go outside and we need to look for possibilities because here there's a linear path and the funding also is only for that mm -hmm. and to get funding to get grants for something that is as new as science communication and research is very very difficult so for mm -hmm people who are just stepping into graduate programs right now who are you know like young researchers do you have any like one line message that you want to tell them in India so? yes yeah. yeah so I would encourage these young researchers to see what kind of collaborations you can set up like I've had a lot of success like I mentioned collaborating with people in other departments at my university we just kind of as a scientific community in general, I'm going to get a little uh, philosophical for a minute. We are going to solve the world's problems just doing the same thing over and over the bench research. Um, I think a great example in, in America is we developed a COVID vaccine really, and it works well on the science side, but then there was a lot of vaccine hesitancy and people not wanting to take it. And so that the science communication, the social science is really important as well. And so how can we work with people in other departments to solve problems? We need a lot of different um, disciplines and things working together. So I would encourage young researchers to do their work. Obviously, you need to get your graduate degree, but consider setting up collaborations with people in different departments. And maybe there's um, funding areas that you hadn't considered. Um, so for example, in the US, we have kind of two major federal funders, the NIH, the National Institutes of Health, and they're mainly going to do that traditional bench research. And then the National Science Foundation, which does some of that as, um, but in addition, they also fund education and science communication and other type of research like that. Um, so maybe like thinking of, oh, even if this lab has always gotten funding from this place, maybe there's a different funder or different place where I hadn't considered um, seeking funding or doing collaborations or doing research. So thinking outside the box and those logistics has been really helpful for me. Yeah. And I think that, you know, people who are listening to this, please, 
you know, hear this message that there is a hope outside of this little box that we've created in academia that, you know, there is this linear path that you have to follow. Otherwise, you mm-hmm. just have to go for it. There is nothing. There's no in between. And mm-hmm. the problem with that is they don't understand that, you know, in academia, the most important thing is communicating science. If you are not able to explain what you are doing in a lab, then that research is for the layman itself and it becomes kind of worthless if you're not able Mm -hmm. to what you're doing. So, Nicole, when we think of scientists, you know, we have this notion that, you know, there are these uh, people who are in a lab codes and they are talking about science to other people. The the typical notion that, you know, media also has portrayed and society also has portrayed to us that I've seen in films and I've read in Mm -hmm. novels is that, you know, these people wear coats and they talk all about nerdy stuff. They are not normal <laughs> human. And uh, how, as a scientist now, you per- like you would want to tell people, you know, this perspective that is painted by media and the society, what has changed? Did yeah, the- I mean, ob- obviously, being a woman in science, being a mother, um, I think that 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 is changing. We're developing more more different identities and different people can pursue science. But in addition to that, that kind of, like you said, I'm nerdy. I'm not really, I'm socially awkward. Like, I don't know how to talk to normal people. I think that um, image needs to really change because it really perpetrates that. Like we just talk about microbiology or whatever science field it is. And we forget about emotion and humanities and social sciences and all these other fields that are really important. So I think there's this uh, growing recognition that like we can't just know these nerdy science facts we have to know how to work with other people to make the science actually applicable to society and so I would really encourage listeners to even if they don't go into science communication research or science education research like I have to respect um, those fields I think for example here often a lot of scientists just kind of do the science communication by trial and error. There are people who have been doing science communication research for decades in communication departments. And we're like, oh, those people in comm, they don't know science. It's No, they've been doing experiments to assess, does it work this way or this way to talk about the science of this audience? And they know what works um, and what doesn't work. And so let's, instead of reinventing the wheel and trial and error, let's like work with those folks and um, understand that, People have psychology and emotions and ways they perceive information. Those social interactions are so important. And so thinking outside of just your discipline and then knowing that like connecting with other people is really important. Also just like life um, is really important. Like being a human is important when you're a scientist as well. Yeah. So this notion changed for you basically when you entered science and you started collaborating with people because the notion of a scientist basically is, you know, there are you work well when you're alone you know, and you work well when you don't collaborate, when you keep researches within yourself and then, you know, show it to the world and suddenly win a Nobel Prize. But this is not how science works. We need to collaborate. No one, yeah, no one person can come up with the best ideas. And anyone, I like that you mentioned the Nobel Prize, like anyone who's won a Nobel Prize had collaborators and students and big labs and and they didn't come up with those things by themselves at all. They worked with lots of other people. Um, So, yeah, collaboration, working with others makes better science for sure. And then what we are taught in college is that you function well when you're alone and this is your competition. 
and you cannot go outside and you cannot you know collaborate with people because you know this is your idea so you need to grant get grant for your idea so there is like there's this uh, thing mm-hmm. in india that you know you need to put like you we don't even tell other people that this is the thing that we came up with not even our best friends because we need to get a grant this is the basic thing that happens in india when the research happens so like how important is collaboration in education itself when you talk yeah. about not just graduate programs but even in college when we are like i think this should be inculcated before even in schools itself mm-hmm. how important yeah. is collaboration is so vital like and, and i think about even people who are just doing like just microbiology they are going into other fields or whatever mm-hmm. most of the big grants that um people get are collaborative in the in the us and that leads to better science like just more perspectives and minds and skills So I think, yeah, even in school, like where there's opportunities for group projects or things like take advantage of that. Obviously, there's sometimes a test or an assignment you have to do by yourself. But the more you can learn how to work with others, I teach medical students. They're going to be part of medical teams where there's different specialties that need to work together. So I make them work together to like solve cases and do things all the time in the classroom, like that ability to teach each other, learn from each other. You learn when you're teaching others, like research on how people learn shows us that like if you can explain something to someone else you actually know it better yourself um so you benefit from helping others and and other and you learn from them and they learn from you and it really helps everyone to work together instead of kind of having this individualized or competitiveness um so just as a student working together make, makes things better and gives you the skills employers in the US often say like what do I want my employee to have? Like, I want them to know how to communicate well and collaborate well and work well with others. Like I can teach them a skill that they do by themselves, but if they don't know how to work well with others, that's hard to teach. So that just takes time and practice. So I encourage students to work on teams or be part of a club or group, like do what you can to get that experience where you can show that you can accomplish something as a group. Um, It's in many ways harder to work with others. Sometimes it's easy to just like put your head down and do your own thing. But like, for example, I work for a medical school and we have dozens of faculty working together in this curriculum. And how do you negotiate and get different ideas working together like that? That's a lot of skills that it takes. And so um, the more collaborative you can be, the better. Yeah, and that I completely agree with you. Also, Nicole, one more question that I had in my mind is that in Twitter, I follow this trend of, you know, PhD sucks and, you know, you cannot uh, get uh, life you can you have to sacrifice your social life in order to do something in phd or you have to sacrifice your phd in order to do a social life and uh, you can only choose one which is your mental health or you know your physical health when you are doing a phd so uh, i want to ask you that how can one achieve uh, work life balance of sorts in academia and yeah. since, uh, mental health is a very important topic these days mm-hmm. in itself you know you compromise your mental health just to publish papers or just to you know you can't even pursue your hobbies when you are doing academia if you do then you are not doing academia right is what twitter says and what mm-hmm. a lot of graduates also say so uh, how did you achieve work life balance and do you have any you know for future graduates who are just stepping into mm-hmm. again graduate programs or who are currently pursuing academia do you have any tips for them you know how to achieve this yeah. balance yeah yeah great question so i Obviously, I see the same like narrative on Twitter or whatever, like, oh, like you need to be in the lab always. And I think it's ridiculous. Like (laughs) no one 
no one is a good scientist if that's all they're doing. Like you need to break away for the sake of yourself and your mental health and your social health and friendships and all those things. But also just you get more creative when you take a break. And like I personally, I struggle to say no. I take on too many projects at work. I probably like I feel a little swamped sometimes and stressed, but like I still have plenty of like evenings or weekends where I'm not working. I'm with my child or I'm with friends or like I'm like I really enjoy doing yoga or going on a hike or whatever, like doing things that aren't work. And it's so critical Um because like at the end of the day, yes, my the work I do, I feel like it has value. I'm teaching students, I'm publishing papers, but also like really at the end of the day, no one's going to care about whatever paper. Like, mm-hmm. um, and it's like, if you sacrificed your life for that, what's the point? Um, and on it, and the work won't be as good because you'll lose your creativity. So when I was in graduate school, like I was involved in like different community groups and things like that, like I kind of have a very, like, I work very efficiently. I get a lot of work done. I'm focused. And then I put it down. And it's like, okay, like, so like this weekend, I need to work on some lesson planning for my students in a manuscript that I'm working on to publish. I'm probably going to work for like four hours on Sunday afternoon, but the rest of Saturday and Sunday, like I'll be doing just like life things, working out, cleaning my house, like just being a responsible human, taking care of my son. And then maybe like, um, relaxing for a little bit but like so it's not like I'm lazy and I never work but I also have time where I'm like I'm not working right now and so that's so important for your life and for your science um it certainly does not need to be like just work all the time I think that's a really important thing when you're considering a graduate program and like talking with potential um advisors like what is the lab culture like um there's certainly some lab cultures where it's like everyone needs to be the lab till 7 p.m every night that wasn't my lab culture when I was in grad school. And I'm very thankful for that. And that's not how I mentor my students. I encourage them to have a life. And there are the times where it's like, oh, there's a deadline. You're up till 2 a.m. working on the paper. Like that happens, but that should not happen every night. Um, that should be the exception, not the norm. Um, and then there should be the times where it's Friday at 2 p.m. and you leave because it's a weekend. Like it, it ebbs and flows. And there's times you work harder and times you work less, but you certainly overall can have a life and should have a life outside of um, academia and it makes you a better scientist kind of back to that point earlier about like oh if you're only the nerdy socially awkward scientist like honestly you're not a very good scientist because you can't communicate with others and think about your science and how it applies to the world so you need to be like part of the world so you can think about how your science works there but it's it's difficult to maintain that I guess and since academia is pressure factory of sorts so Mm -hmm. to achieve somewhat which is called a rest day is also very difficult Mm -hmm. and in our culture sort of it's frowned upon like you cannot take a break if you are taking a break you lose the opportunity to publish so many papers let's just say or you lose Mm -hmm. the opportunity to you know others will go ahead of you again this competitiveness comes Mm -hmm. also there is no collaboration and you are not you know, actively participating in discussions and you are keeping your research just to the, you know, your your laboratory and not letting other people know what is happening in your lab is the condition of most of the labs in India right now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's sad, I know, but mm-hmm. I hope your message reaches to the listeners who are pursuing academia right now and the practitioners as well, 
and mm-hmm. it's my audience is like 80% of them are you know involved in academia right now so mm-hmm. i just hope whatever that we discussed goes there and people just get to know nicole that you know there is a life outside and you mm-hmm. know you can pursue it you don't have mm-hmm. to follow a linear path right yeah yeah and it's hard like to go against the grain for sure i sometimes will feel that like guilt if i'm resting but i know like if I'm producing work and being efficient and making things happen, like I know that that time away is not only good for me, but also good for my work because I get that fresh perspective. Um, And you don't have to go like all or nothing, like try like, Hey, I'm going to take this evening off. Like, how does that feel? How does my work, um, you don't have to just like quit everything. (laughs) Like, so I think finding that, that balance of what rest looks like, that's doable. um, And then just encouraging each other, like talk about, even if you're not allowed to talk about like data or things like talk about how you're feeling, talk about your process, talk about solutions you found to problems as a student or in the lab or whatever, start, you all are like that next generation and it's definitely an uphill battle. And and I know like as a younger person in academia, I certainly sometimes get pushed back from older folks um, who are kind of the, this is how we've always done things, people, but things are slowly changing and academia is becoming more inclusive and I continue to fight for that. Um, and so I would encourage you and your your other kind of students that you're friends with, like you all are that next generation who can start changing things. So we don't just keep recapitulating the same unhealthy cultures. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for that message, Nicole. And thank you so much for coming and absolutely these things. I mean, it is a very, very, very great honor to have you on my podcast, to be really honest. Thank you. You're the first assistant professor that I had on my podcast. Like before mm-hmm. this, I've had speakers, I have, I've had authors, I have had podcast people, but it feels really good to have this chat with somebody who has gone through this process in academia. Mm-hmm. And you gave us hope, you know, that we can still <laughs> think outside box and things will not go wrong. Yeah, yeah, I really am thankful to be here and talk through these things and best of luck to you and your listeners as y'all are figuring out navigating these things you thank you so much nicole right hope persists and with it our will a big 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 thank you to dr kelp for coming and speaking about these issues with me I am honoured to have someone like her on this platform. And to you, my dear listeners, I hold nothing but gratitude. Thank you so much for sharing your 2022 with me. And I'll see you in the next episode next year with a brand new season. Till then, stay warm, stay safe and remember to try something new out of the normal.